This is our fifth installment of the best recruiting stories, a standalone podcast that we do here on the Ryan Rosillo podcast. Different athletes, we ask them all the same question. Give us your best recruiting story. Six athletes sharing that with you. Enjoy. It's Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip from free high speed Wi Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more. Book direct at lq.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Bob Sochi and Scott Zolak on 98.5 The Sports Hub, Patriots Radio Network, and we're joined by the superhuman Rob Gronkowski. Okay, let's do this. You're a high school kid. You're making a name for yourself. A bunch of schools come calling. I know you ended up at Arizona, but what's your best recruiting story? Oh, all right. So we're talking about high school. I would say my best recruiting story. I kind of, it's not really a recruiting story, but I switched high schools uh, my senior year. I, the college recruiting stories, I mean, I can't, I'm not even going to say on air. I mean, I just went up to those official visits and I just went absolutely. No, ham. no, time out. My Clemson, that's that's my, what I want. <laughs> time out. That's actually no, no, what I my, want. <laughs> my Clemson visit, I went absolutely ham at. I lost my phone. I remember going back to uh, wherever we were going back to the sleep and the guy that was hosting me, I mean. I, I, I don't think I've seen them since, but I mean, bless them for even hosting me that, that weekend. I mean, they probably thought I was the biggest idiot of all times, which was true at that time. I sure was. And, uh, we were going ham. I was, I was on a, I was on a stage jumping up and down, uh, dancing, partying, doing all that good stuff Clem at Clemson. Then we get back. I, um, and, uh, I, I actually commit to the university of Arizona and here, and here's the kicker. You know, I love Clemson a lot. It was it was a great school. But Wait, the whole weekend mind, you were I, you're, the weekend you were there, where you were like, I'm definitely not going here either. No, I was like, this school is sweet. Like this is like I was like, if I wasn't going to go to Arizona because I wanted to check out like two other schools. My mindset was Arizona, but I was like, wow, if Arizona for some reason just falls off the map within like the next three weeks or whatever, the next few months, I'm going to go to Clemson. Like this school is great. Loved every part of it. Loved the coach that was recruiting me, which is the head coach of uh, Florida. Now, Billy uh, Napier, or how do you say his last name? Napier. I never, yeah, no, you got it. His name correctly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There we go. He was a great guy, great recruiter, but I get home then. And then when I commit to the university of Arizona, I get a, I get a voicemail you know, in my, in my messages. So I must've gave out my number a couple of times that night. 
I don't remember. I was having too good of a time. I was drinking all the, all the water that they got down there in Clemson. It's great water. And, uh, the, the, I, I listened to it and it's, it, it's some, uh, some girl that goes to the, you know, university of Clemson, you know, and it's like, Hey Rob, I saw you committed to the university of Arizona. I'm going to tell you this right now. You absolutely fucked your decision up. We were all waiting for you down here, you know, in Clemson. Uh, well, you have a good life. We're going to miss you so much, but let me tell you once again, you fucked up. Bye-bye. And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, what a voicemail. I was, listening. I was showing it to all my friends. I'm like, look at look at this voicemail. Listen to it. And uh, we thought it was the greatest thing at that time. That's for sure. I was in high school. I was like 19 years. I was 18 years old. It was it was the coolest voicemail I ever got in my life. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I wonder who that was. I wonder who I gave my number to. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it might be the best answer uh, we've ever had on this segment. What about Arizona then? Why Arizona? I just love the University of Arizona. My, uh, actually, I got recruited there because my dad's in business. He sells fitness equipment. He's been in business for 33 years now, fitness equipment, re- retail and commercial. And um, so his other good friend that he met, you know, at a convention, at a fitness convention, he does the same exact thing as my dad in, in Arizona and Colorado. So he became friends with him. And then he became friends with the family, you know, through, through work with my dad. And then when we were getting recruited, he kept telling my dad, Hey, I'm an Arizona alumni. I'm, I'm in with them. He donated the whole weight room to the Arizona uh, program as well. Back then he's like, he's like, I'll get you in touch with coach Stoops and they're, they're going to, they're going to recruit you. So then, um, that's how it all started. So then we took a visit out there. Um, my brother took a visit out there and I tagged along. And when I went out there, man, I just fell in love with the campus. I fell in love with the coaches. I just fell in love with everything about the university of Arizona. And just from there, I knew I was going to go there from the beginning. Hand off to Eckler. Eckler hits the hole and he's through to the 40, to the 50, to the 40. It's a foot race. 30, 20, 10. Austin Eckler touchdown. Chargers. Matt Smith on ALT 987 Los Angeles in a huge run from our next guest, Austin Eckler. You grew up as a farmhand. Can you explain first what that means? Yeah, man. So I, I grew up on a ranch. Um, we call I call it a ranch. It was 80 acres. Uh, we had horses, chickens, some cows at one point. Um, and basically, it was me to take care of them because it was my mom's ex-husband now um, that that was his lifestyle. And so that's why we lived that lifestyle. So he wanted a place. He wanted all these things. But he also... Uh, built fence for a living. Like that was his company. He had a fence built. So he was never home. And so guess who's taking care of it? It was me, my mom, and my little brother. That's that's who was home. And so it was me taking care of all these animals that I had nothing to do with. I didn't want anything to do with these things. Um, and so that's what it was for for me when I got home. It was watering, it was feeding them. It was taking care of all these right animals, like I said, that I didn't care about. And so for me, I, I hated it. I hated it so much. Um, but it taught me a lot about responsibility and hard work. And there's no excuses. There's no excuse not to get it done because that's the only responsibility that I had, but it was a big responsibility. Um, and you know, it was face consequences if you do have any excuses too. So that's what really shaped my, shaped my mindset. And, you know, even the, the fencing company, like during the summers, I'd be football camps and be building fence. Like that's what we were doing. We we're just grinding, just grinding. 
And so that's kind of like you said, you know, like the no, no days off, like that, that's how my life has been forever, man. I've just been grinding forever. And so now that's how my story has played itself out because I've just been grinding through opportunities, taking that mindset that I had, just working through sports, working through school, working through work. And really that's been what I've known and that's what I've done. Okay. So the no TV thing, did you, did you not have a TV set or did you just, we had TV, but I, I just wasn't really interested in anything like that. Like if I was going to do anything like that, I'd go like play video games in my room by myself. Um, that was, that was what I was doing. I was usually just like isolated in my room, which I mean, our, our closest neighbor was a mile away. We were 20 miles away from our school. So there's no one coming over. I'm not going over to anyone's house after practice. I got to get home because it takes us, you know, 25 minutes to get home. Um, so it was, it was really a, a solitary life of grinding. <laughs> now, is the high school so small that's why you're not getting any looks? Like, what's your what was going on through the recruiting process? Yeah, man. So my high school, it wasn't crazy. I mean, it's all perspective and, you know, whatever you think it's small or not. We had 500 students, um, but it was a little farm, farm town in Colorado with a one-stop light, which... You know, it was one of those towns where you drive through, like, who would live here? Like, that was Eaton, Colorado, baby. Like, you know, I, I love Eaton, Colorado because they, they had so much support in that town of of the local teams, athletics. So shout out to Eaton uh, for always having my back. Um, but yeah, it was it was a school where we were a good sports school. Um, and, you know, my senior year, my junior year had a good year. My senior year had 43 touchdowns, ran for 2,300 yards. I was averaging 240 yards of rushing a game. Um, a few passing yards in there as well. So I was absolutely destroying everybody, which if you're at a small school, what do you got to do to stand out? You got to do that. You got to stand out like, oh my God, this guy is going crazy. Um, and that, yeah, that's kind of the high school uh, portion and then, you know, what happened to my senior year. Well, what happened? Um, so, yeah. So going into the recruiting process, um, you know, I'm, I have a, a teammate that he was our tight end. And, you know, I pretty much was the offense, but he was just six, four. Um, he's still one of my friends today. He's a long snapper for the Raiders. Actually. Um, he had all these schools coming in these D ones, you know, TCU, CSU, um, you know, Boulder, uh, all these D ones coming to talk to him and no, no one would talk to me. Like no one would talk to me. I'm the guy out there scoring five touchdowns a game running for a first down every, every time I touch the ball, no one is talking to me. And so finally he's, he's through all those and all the smaller schools start coming in. And, you know, I have a couple small schools that talk to me and they come and sit down with me and they're like, Hey man, you know, we want you to come to our team. You know, we're thinking about putting you at, at like corner or bringing you on as an athlete to see where you fit, where you fit in. Um, and I was like, that's BS, man. Like I, I'm not, I'm not going to your school. I didn't tell him that, but in my mind, I'm like, I'm not going, I want to play running back. Like I want someone to come and offer me to play running back. And so Western Colorado university, the only university that came to me and was like, Hey man, our senior running back just graduated. We want you to come play running back. Boom. You got me. Like that was the only offer that I had. And it was the only offer that I had to actually play my position that I wanted to play. Um, and so the day I graduated, like I was ready to get out of my situation. I'm like, finally freedom. So literally the day I graduated, my truck was packed up. Like I told you, I, I hated taking care of all that stuff. I was like, give me away. Um, and so truck was packed up, threw my hat in the air. I'm going up to Gunnison, Colorado. I'm going to start, you know, um, grinding with the boys up there in the, in the summer. Um, and that's where I had a, a rude awakening of what Western football was going to be like um, when I got there. 
uh, because I think we had four seniors uh, on the team. I didn't really realize that. So what does that tell you? That means a lot of guys quit or, you know, dropped out um, or got kicked off. And so I got up there and I immediately was standing out because I was immediately one of the strongest guys. And I just, my passion and me caring for the game was so much greater than a lot of the guys there that I was a little like shocked by like how much I cared and how much people didn't care. Um, and I think it's because I came from a perspective like this is a journey. This is a way out for me. This is a way for me to better my life and give myself a better opportunity to go forward. And so that's how I approached the game. It's, it wasn't just I'm here to play football and learn. Like, no, this is for me to start something better for my life so I can you know, get on my own feet and do something that I want to do. And so I brought that mindset my rookie, my freshman year up there. And I, like I said, I was one of the strongest guys, worked the hardest, stayed there the entire summer. Uh, I was the only freshman that was up there that early. Um got myself a job in the summer so I could pay for my rent and stuff like that. And just continued to keep that mindset through my entire college career and was just grinding. And then by the end of, end of my college career, we had 25 seniors. Um, so that I was definitely contagious when I got up there. Um, and you know, people could feel my energy throughout the entire entire season, all those four years there. And I was really contagious pulling people along with me because they felt like, Oh yeah, like we can buy into that. Cause they wanted the same thing. They just didn't realize they wanted it. Like they wanted something better for themselves. And so being around me helped them because I'm vocal about it. I'm vocal about how much I care, how much this matters, how much is more than just football. It's more, it's a legacy. Right. And so me doing that, bringing that personality, bringing that energy, right. Is what got me my NFL opportunity and it keeps going. This episode is supported by state farm. So look, a little rock, hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. It's like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time. Said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Edelman has it. Did he make the catch? He He did. You got to be kidding me. An amazing catch we all remember from Super Bowl 51. Bob Sochi and Scott Zolak again on the call as we welcome in Julian Edelman. Okay, take us back to Woodside, California. You're trying to figure out the next step in your football career. What's your best recruiting story? I I honestly didn't get recruited. I was pissed because we had a running back by the name of Tyrese Jacks. This guy was, he was like a, he was like Adrian Peterson. If Adrian Peterson was probably like 15, 20 pounds less. Because what was AP, like 220? 
AP was like two, yeah. 215, 220. This guy was like 205. He was a track guy. He was like had crazy strength. I think he had 2,000 yards our senior year. And, and I, I had some decent stats too, but like pe- the people would come in to recruit the high school. No one even looked at me because they were trying to get Tyrese or Dom or these other guys. And I got so pissed because even the junior colleges came in. City, what was it? Uh, San Francisco City College. They came in. They Coach Rush didn't even look at me. Didn't even look at me. And, and you know, I didn't get recruited. And I decided to go to CSM, the, the rival school of, of San Francisco City. But I, I it in California, it's crazy. There's a lot of talent that goes unseen because it's such a big state. And there's only really two major universities for football. Like you go to Texas, they got like seven big D1 programs. You know, you go to you go to Florida, you got the big Florida schools, you know, you go to California, you got Cal and Stanford, you know, and Davis. And so there's a lot of talent that goes unseen in California, especially I I think Northern California as well. So I I don't have anything crazy. I I do have I got so pissed because I wanted to go to Berkeley. And after my uh Jeff Tedford was the coach. Remember Tedford? Yeah. And so I remember I used to go work out with the, uh, this this Gutierrez. He was on our, he was on our team when I got drafted the Patriots, and uh, I, I'd go work out at Berkeley. And I wanted to go to Berkeley because Aaron Rodgers went there. He went to Butte. He was a JUCO guy. Went to Butte, and then went to Cal, and he was balling out. And Cal didn't even like look at me, and I balled out after my first year at JUCO. And I got so mad about that because it was close to home. I had a lot of friends there. I wanted to go to Berkeley. So the first time I saw Tedford, I was training in their training room or in, in their uh, their weight room. And he came up and he, he's like, we're, we're happy to have you. I just became a Patriot. I go, you would have had two Rose Bowls if you would have recruited me. And I walked away. I walked away. So still mad. Could have been a, a Berkeley bear. Berkeley. Old Tedford, I think you got so even after later. even after San Mateo, and you ended up like you had to go to Kent State. So there still there still wasn't. I well, a lot of schools. I was a qualifier, so I I had good grades and I took the SAT, and so I could leave after one year. And so I was getting re- heavily recruited after my uh, my first year. I mean, but everyone wanted me to change positions, or. They wanted me to stay another year. They're like, we don't have a, a scholarship for you. And so I was like, fuck that. I want to play quarterback. And Kent, I went to Kent and they flew me out. And I have no clue where Kent State was. I was like, what the fuck? I, I, knew, I actually, I remember learning about Kent State with the, the state troopers, May 4th, 1970 in, in high school. I was like, this school, they got football. And, uh, I went out to a spring practice and it was snowing and it was like, my goal was to play division one. I want to be a D one quarterback. Like that was my thing. When we were in high school, you'd be like, if something was cool, you'd be like, that's so D one. That shit. Oh man. That was a, that's such a D one throw, right? D one, D one was my thing. I wanted to go D one. I want to play quarterback. I watched that practice. I was like, I could start right away here if I come. And, uh, I remember my coach, the uh, Coach Martin. He he locks me in at the end of the visit, 
And he goes, you know, we're going to allow you to compete, you know, for, for the job. You know, our, our, our starting quarterbacks hurt. We didn't have a particularly great year last year. And I, and I looked him dead in his eyes and I go, if I come here, I'm going to be your starting quarterback. And like, he looked at me and he laughed and I was like, I'm dead serious. And then I left that room. I was like, I, th- I felt like he was kind of like, he didn't believe me. I was like, I called my dad. I was like, we're gonna, I'm going to sign here. We're going to, we're going to go here. You know, I have an opportunity to play and, you know, it turned out great. I mean, we didn't win as many games as we should have. I turned the ball over too much, but collected some stats. Yeah, you sure did. I mean, I was going through it again this morning. I mean, you ran all over the place that last year while playing yeah. quarterback, like 14, 1500 yards. Uh, I love that story. And I'm going to start using D1. Let's bring that back. Let's just, I know. Let's get it going again. That's so D1. <laughs> hey, that view right there, that shit's D1. This, this spot by you was D1. He wants to throw. Sets up in his end zone. Looking deep. Looking downfield. Terrell Owens is open. Makes the catch at the 45. He's going to go all the way. Terrell Owens celebrating 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. Touchdown. 98 yards. Ryan Fitzpatrick to Terrell Owens. John Murphy on the call for 97 Rock Buffalo Bills Radio Network as we welcome in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Okay, let's go back. Take us back a bunch of years. You're coming out of Gilbert, Arizona. What was the recruiting process and you eventually ending up at Harvard? Yeah, it wasn't wasn't much of a, a process. I had one, I took three visits. I visited Eastern Washington, I visited Princeton, and I visited Harvard. Um, Eastern Washington, Big Sky, 1AA back then was my one scholarship offer. And the quarterback coach or coordinator at the time was Tim Rosenbaugh. And I grew up a Cardinals fan. So I was juiced to be talking to Tim Rosenbaugh. Um, But that just, that wasn't going to be it. I I went on the visit just because it was a scholarship offer and I wanted to check out, you know, what it was like. That was before Michael Roos donated the red turf. Um, but I went out to Princeton and they had a coach on their staff, uh, Verbit, Steve Verbit, or Verbit. Um, I think he still might be on their staff. Uh, and his son was also a quarterback. And uh, I think we were the same year. And he pulled my dad aside during one of the dinners and said, look, um, I think it's great that you're here on the visit. But if your son comes here, he'll never play. And so. My dad didn't tell me that until after the visit was over and it was nice. And, you know, I go out to Harvard, decide, look, this is the place for me. Just even, you know, the campus was great. Uh, you can't really make a bad decision between Princeton and Harvard, I don't think. But I love the guys a lot more there. It just seemed to be a better fit for me. Um, and then my dad told me after I made the decision Hey, by the way, this is what their coach said. So for the next four years, you make sure, you know, that whole deal. Um, but I thought, I thought that was funny. Uh, that always, that always stuck with me when I was playing against Princeton. Um, but the, the other funny thing is I'm from Arizona. So going out to the East coast, I mean, that was quite the move for me. I never really been out that way much. And when I was on my recruiting trip in February, I believe, the Charles River was frozen. People were walking on the river, and I didn't know that rivers could freeze. It was like, wait, 
the river is frozen. Like, and I still decided to go there, even though it was brutally cold. Now you roommate, you were roommates with Zuckerberg, right? <laughs> no, no, it's not roommates with Zuck. Uh, oh. I think he was a year younger than I was. Um, but it, that whole thing, Facebook started, it started when we, when we were there, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, did you ever hang out with either of the Winklevies then or no? Never? No, didn't, didn't hang out with the Winklevoss twins. All right. My research is obviously, I need to tighten it up on the research department here. Yeah, my gosh. Jeez. Palmer drops to throw. Has time. Middle of the field. Nice. TJ at the goal nice. line. And for the eighth consecutive game. And a new career mark. The tenth touchdown of the year for TJ Hushmanzada. Thanks to Brad Johansson on 1530 Homer and the Cincinnati Bengals Radio Network as we welcome in a longtime Cincinnati Bengals receiver, TJ Hushmanzada. Okay, let's do your best recruiting story. I know you were at Cerritos Community College and ended up at Oregon State, so whatever you want to do. I actually have two of them now, actually, that I thought about it. My first recruiting trip, I go from LAX to Rutgers. Sean O'Hara, um, he was part he was at Rutgers, if I'm not mistaken, at that time. And that was the first time I had ever been on an airplane. I had never been on an airplane before in my life. So here I am going from L.A. to Jersey. Man, we hit so much turbulence. I started sweating. I was like taking my shirt off. I got nervous. I'm like, we're really about to die on this plane. Like, I didn't know what that was. I'm like, why are we in the air and it's shaking and we dropping? And you start to just start, you just start sweating. And I took my shirt off and one of my teammates was with me. And I was like, wow, my first time on a plane and I'm going to die. I'll never forget that. But then the other one. I was Cerrito College. I'm supposed to go to Oregon State. I believe this was a Thursday. I'm heading to Oregon State on a Saturday. I go watch a basketball game. Long Beach City played Cerritos College. Um, Long Beach City had a guy by the name of uh, Shea Cotton. We had a guy by the name of Tony Harvey. Both of them end up. I don't. Did Shea Cotton ever make it to the league? Did he play no. like? No. Okay, Tony Harvey. I think he played. He played a little bit. So anyway, we're just sitting. I think it was halftime of the game. And I'm with a couple of my friends uh, from Cerritos College, and we see some guys from Long Beach. And one of the dudes says something to us, and a fight breaks out. And when a fight breaks out, I get punched. And the guy that punched me, I was pissed off about that. And so everything had died down. And the police was there, and they were okay, just go your separate ways. But I was mad at the guy that punched me. And I'm like, I'm going to get you back. So as we're talking to the police, they kind of let us go, and now they're talking to that group of guys. I just walked up to them and punched them right in front of the police. So then they slammed me, they slammed me on the ground, and I was like kind of like wrestling with the police. They pepper sprayed me. Oh my God, the worst feeling in the world because your face feels like it's on fire. They handcuffed me, and I go to the county jail, and I'm supposed to be going to uh, Oregon State. So I'm sitting there like, oh, I guess there's my scholarship. I'm <laughs> They're taking it because it's technically now it's Friday morning. And then I got out that Monday and I ended up going to Oregon State the following weekend. But I thought at that time, like, oh, I'm taking my scholarship. But it all worked out. 
It was Erickson, right? Yeah, it was Coach Erickson. Yeah. Do you think another coach? I mean, it was minor, though. It wasn't. It wasn't like uh, you know. I've you, never been. First of all, it is. It is minor. I mean, yeah, you know, was, the number of guys minor. on a football team they're going to get into a fight at some point in their lives. And like kid. the police officer literally told me he was like, "All you had to do was stop when we told you to stop it. You wouldn't be going to jail." He, after I calmed down, we had like a hell a great conversation. Like I have a bad temper. It's just, but once I calm down, I'm good. And he literally was like, all you had to do was stop when we told you to stop and you refused to stop. So we have, I was like, oh my God. But yeah, I mean, it, it all worked out. It was a lesson learned for sure. Hadn't been back in there since. <laughs> so you sat in jail for three nights thinking your scholarship was gone. Yeah. And the sad part about being in jail, like I called. My friend, I'm like, hey, call him on a three-way. Call him on a three-way. So it's like six of us on the phone, and it was like an hour and a half, and they were ready to go. And I'm like, bro, why are y'all ready to go? Like, we ain't got nothing to do. I'm bored. They're like, hey, I want to go. And uh, my my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, um, she put up bail money to get me out. So I was like, oh, she really loved me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That's good. That's good. It all did work out. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't think you can blame Shea Cotton for that one, though. So that's that's no, no, that's no. Good. It was just because Shea yeah. Cotton at the time he was like everybody wanted to go see him. Is my point? Yeah, he like, was yeah, yeah. that dude. Like yeah. look him up for people that hear this. Like Shea Cotton was six seven two forty as a nineteen year old. He probably was that as a sixteen year old. He was a man child, but at the time we were pretty good too. Cerritos was pretty good at basketball, so it was a good game. I don't even know who won. I can't even remember. I just remember the BS that I did. Well, it all worked out. The 13-year domination of the NFC apparently has come to an end. And the man, the sentimental favorite, the fans who didn't care about who won this game, cared that John Elway got a Super Bowl ring. Dick Enberg and Phil Simms on NBC, first of three Super Bowls for Mark Schlereth. This is not the same recruiting story as all these other guys down south. So you're fresh out of Alaska, a high school kid. Felt like limited options at the time. Tell us your best recruiting story. Yeah, for me, you know, going to the University of Idaho, um, I, I went to Hawaii and I took a recruiting trip to Hawaii. And I'm a you know a little kid from Alaska. And they bring you on the recruiting trip during the Pro Bowl at that time, which was always over at Hawaii. And... You're watching, they bring you to the Pro Bowl practice. And I'm watching all these professional football players. Um, and you know, like Earl Campbell at 240 pounds and just, I mean, all thighs. And like you're you're looking at it, and I'm like, at the time, you know, I'm this kid from Alaska going, Holy Moses, like I I this is crazy, right? And I always had this dream to play in the NFL. And at that point, I'm looking at it like, there's no way I'm going to make it to the NFL. And then I'm going through the weight room. And, you know, University of Hawaii is all Samoan kids, right? And I'm like, holy, like, they're just these big old, I'm like, I don't think I can play here. And then I got the scholarship offer to Hawaii or to Idaho. And I took my recruiting trip to Idaho. And, um, you know, I looked around there and I thought, well, at least I could probably, at least I'll start or I'll play here. But I don't know about any place else. So um, there was two things for me that when I sat down and made the decision, it was, am I going to play or am I going to have to wait around for three years to play? Cause I want to play. 
And the other thing was, and, and this is God's honest truth. I grew up in Alaska. I was like, I cannot wake up to sunshine. 24 hours, you know, seven days a week, 365. Like I can't, I, if I have to be in sunshine all the time, I'm going to go bonkers. So it's like, at least Idaho has changed the season and it snows and it does stuff like I'm used to in Alaska. So that's why, that's literally why I chose the University of Idaho. How big were you as a senior? Um, I was 6'3", 215, 220. Right, because the picture of you that constantly gets brought up maybe twice a year, uh, Saruti likes to call it your Red Dawn photo. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. You're, all, you're, you're all ripped up, just good looking kid, nice little brown. Yeah. I don't know what you're doing with the bangs or whatever, certainly not criticizing in my certain position. Uh, but I, so 215, were you, were you playing everything in Alaska? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a, I was a high school, um, obviously football player. Uh, my football coaches wouldn't let me play basketball, which I wanted to play. I, I wrestled um, instead because they said it was just way better. And then, uh, you know, for your football career, which it was, it's the toughest sport I've ever been involved in, bar none. Um, I'm glad I did it. I hated it at the time, but I'm glad I did it. So 215 to Idaho. And then, see, I love that because that's like, you're the only kid that you could ever think of that would go to Hawaii and be like, nope. (laughs) Yeah, right. No, this is, there's no way I want to go here. Yeah. I was like, there's not, uh, not waking up to, like, I went, I went like, you can see, I just came back from Hawaii. I got not one stitch of tan on me. I had the hundred. I had the same sunscreen that my grandkids were wearing. I was like, nope, I have no interest in winning a tanning contest. I don't even want to be in the sun. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate, is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season? Throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where... Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in available in your choice of ranch barbecue and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add on to your meal food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. The email address, lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. We got Kyle, we got Steve. Okay, uh, all right, let's do a Vegas one. Move to Vegas, 5'8", 155, 75-pound dumbbells, 27 pull-up max. Dude, don't talk about anything else. 27 pull-ups is like, is that even... 1%. 1%. It's probably less than 1%. Pickup comp Bruce Brown. Uh, please don't. Okay. So I got to edit this on the fly. I graduated college on the East Coast, immediately moved across the country to start my job. Ooh, very good job. I love my job, make good money. I'm overall very pleased with the professional aspect of my life. 
I already know where this is going. However, like many others who write into life advice, I'm dealing with the standard struggles that come with living alone in a new city, especially at my young age. This includes not meeting new people outside of work, spending extended periods of time by myself and missing my friends and family back east. Um, the real dilemma is that because I moved to Las Vegas, in many ways, this is a blessing and curse. The blessing, given that it's Vegas, everyone wants to visit me. Considering how lonely it feels at times, it's very comforting knowing I can expect a rather steady stream of visitors coming to crash at my place in Sin City. Between my hometown friends and college buddies, I already have three groups on the calendar before April. That's a lot of dudes and a lot of visits, especially at that young age. Like you love right after college being like, I'll visit. Where are you? Yeah. <laughs> Trinidad? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ian, what's your couch? I don't need any situation? blankets. Yeah, I don't need that. I once slept on an Xbox. That wasn't great as a pillow with a sheet over it. But yeah, when you're young, it doesn't really matter. Sleeping arrangements. I think back to a couple visits that I made while I was still in Vermont with no money and then would visit guys that had places in multiple cities. Like, I kind of, I don't even know if I've done it yet, but I'd like to apologize to the guy from, the guys from Hereford, right? Hereford and Newberry Street. Like now looking back, I'm like, what a horrible guest just to assume like, hey, I'm going to crash here for like four days and go out every single night. Like, I didn't know that you guys have jobs and normal stuff. And so maybe we'll hang out on Friday, but like, I'm going to go to every Red Sox game and just be out, like leave a key under the mat. No problem. And they just let you do it. But they must have motherfucked me the whole time. I mean, I think the real apology goes to Slokes and Rand for their Manhattan apartment. When I came into the city for my Trenton Thunder interview and I didn't even have any money to stay anywhere. I think one of the guys didn't even like me anyway, but um, I lost their keys. That was like the end of it. Not awesome. That was, yeah, yeah. The relationship has never been the same. It's been, I don't know, 21 years. So anyway, I get that. I get that. I love, I love going to visit back then. And now I look back and I'm like, man, what a horrible guest. So apologies to everybody that I visited while I was still living in Vermont with no money. And I came to visit you at your nicer places and cooler cities. So the curse is when I do get visitors, they're coming to engage in all the typical Vegas activities you'd expect, drinking, gambling, clubbing, et cetera. For the visitors, this is a sort of vacation where they'll budget out a couple hundred bucks to blow in Vegas for the weekend, probably more than a couple hundred. As the host of the trip, I'll feel tempted pressure to join my guests in all these activities, but with the volume of guests, I'm expecting this will get pretty costly pretty fast. As I mentioned earlier, my job is fairly well-paying for somebody in their early 20s. Yeah, it's a good job, but I can't imagine you're like maxing out every single savings account you'd want. I'm trying to save diligently and set myself up for the future, and I won't be able to do that if I'm blowing hundreds of dollars every weekend on blackjack and strippers because my buddies are in town. How do I balance maintaining a close relationship with my friends back east and welcoming them into town without breaking the bank every time they come to visit? All right, I have some theories, but I've talked a lot here, so why don't you guys go first? Sounds oh. like you need to hit up the ringer.com slash RG, bro. Um, no, I, I when when my buddies w would come, they were always like, I'm not a club guy. Strictly, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not. Never have been. Even when I was the 8.5 version of myself or 8.0, whichever we landed on. Um, even then, I was like, this is not for me. I don't like it. I don't know where to stand. I don't know where to put my feet. Whatever. So, But when we, I had a bunch of guys coming out when I first came out of college out of college i basically moved right here and they were always like oh we want to go to these places and i was like this is great i'm not i'm not sponsoring a club thing i don't think you can do that in vegas i just don't and it, like i think that's that's like part of the big three right so i don't have a great answer actually because I, that was easy for me to just put my foot down and there'd be a couple groans and I'd be like, hey listen if you guys want to go to the club or something like you know holler at me afterwards i'll be up but um I don't think you can do that in Vegas. This is kind of understood. And the gambling thing is like, I don't know. You can kind of gamble anywhere, right? If you're in like a everywhere. Certain, if you're in the county, right? On your phone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just, but it makes you, sense. Like what what this guy's talking about. I'm 
and before it's through, you jump in. It's just it it makes sense that this is a little above and beyond the normal. Hey, a lot of guys are visiting because you're visiting in Vegas, which we just there's going to be all these expenses that you can't theoretically like keep up with, especially on these weekends. This is the one weekend of the year for these guys, and this is down the street for you. So the math is just not going to work out. So anyway, Steve. No, that's not saying. So can you? Are all these different friend groups or are they the same friend group? Because if it's the same friend group, we got to be like, guys, we got to get on the same page. Like once a year, we're going to have a weird long weekend, but like we can't keep coming every couple of months where then I have. That's totally reasonable. And if they want to do that, that's three fine. groups, right? I think he said three friend groups. He said it's three separate groups before uh, April. We're not even a month five, dude. But separate groups might be groups of of trips, right? Not necessarily guys from a different group. Do I they do know each saying. other? Like my buddies, some of my buddies from college also know my buddies from high school like can we get everybody just on the same page to maybe pick a long weekend every year that's like hey this is the ball out weekend because other than that like i think you can go out you maybe don't hit the strip club but you can hit the tables and just like not you have a hundred dollar budget or something and you're maybe a debbie downer but your guys have to understand you and also like it, it they're not necessarily coming on weekends right it's not always like saturdays because vegas is is kind of the weekend so is there a way you could like drop them off at the tables, come pick them up, and then be like, all right, now it's dinner time. And you could just- You're not going to do that. One thing to you, I know you're not yeah. going to- <laughs> Mom's going to pick us up from the casino later. Well, no, you do three hours, and then it's like you got dinner. That way you bought yourself. Who knows what you would have spent in those three hours? I'm just saying, if you have to do this every other weekend, you got to find a way to, you know, you got to like LeBron it. You got to sort of like pick your spots and rest out there. <laughs> I love that you brought it back to LeBron. Uh, this is tough. This is a little bit more challenging. Like I had a theory where I just was like, I don't even care what I'm saving in my 20s. Now, looking back, I wish I just maxed out that 401k without a corporate job and just done it on my own the entire time because that way you'd be like, wow, this is going to be awesome. But it just wasn't feasible that I was going to be able to do that anyway. So I didn't even worry about any of that stuff. So I could go with that advice, but it doesn't sound very responsible. And it sounds like you're actually a pretty responsible person when you're already thinking about kind of that stuff and setting yourself up for the future where I wouldn't even be like, oh, no, I can only do three Vegas weekends this year. I can't do seven because that throws off all of my budgeting. So credit to you for even being of the mindset this young. to be Also, this won't be way. forever, right? That's the other thing. This won't last forever. This is like guys aren't going to keep doing this. Like I'd, yeah. I had like one or two repeat LA guys like but and I probably had like seven or eight trips and I only like one or two of the guys were like I'm coming back for like guys want to take their vacation somewhere else next time maybe yeah could you could you like host your own like call it the invitational or something where it's like hey man ah, once nice. once clever. a year once a year I've got a thing everybody's free to come by we're gonna get weird it's gonna be awesome I might be a little bit packed in the living room but you know that's the that's the scene and that's that's the bit that that's the weird time and you just put that out to all of your friends say hey Weekend 2024, we're going to do it in June. Here's the weekend. Let me know if you're in. Otherwise, like that's that's kind of my bandwidth for 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 the year. Because I think I, I don't think that's unreasonable for you to say that to your friends. Now, if they want to come and stay with you outside of that time and get weird on their own, I think they can. But like the expectation is that you have one weird, expensive weekend in you a year as the host, and you can dictate when that is and when people can come. I can't believe you guys. I can't believe that I'm the one that's this much older than you and you guys sound like you're so removed from the reality of this. These guys are so young. They don't give a shit about any of that stuff. They're just going to be psyched to go to Vegas. Now, you might be right that down the road, they won't want to come as much, but some people right. come here every single year I and guess. they I keep doing it. I don't know who this guy it. knows, though, yeah. Right. And, and as far as like the, the local guy invitational, then you're crossing streams with high school and college buddies from all these different groups. Yeah. And that never works out. We've already covered that in the bachelor party stuff. You know, it's always kind of hard. I mean, Kyle could speak to that. We almost had a gang war with Kyle's crew and they were celebrating his life. So I 
I don't know that you can start. Here, here's what I would do. I would do something different. Now, granted, we got some lonely guys listening to this being like, I wish I had this many friends. I should move to <laughs> Vegas. Um, here's what I would do. And it also depends on how cool you are in your group. You'd have to be on the cooler end of things. So hopefully they're visiting not only because it's Vegas, but also because of you. You just go, hey, look, like write up a proposal like it's a business plan. And again, I think you might be mature enough to pull this off at a young age. You go, here's the deal. I want to see you guys the entire time you're here. All right. But because I live here, it's like the Will Kane thing when he told me that he goes, you know, what's great about living in Manhattan? He says, I love it. He goes, but what sucks is everybody comes to the city. And when they come here and granted, people are going to New York all the time. They want the full Manhattan night out. They want the full experience. And I have all these people that roll through and he goes, it just kills me because I'm like, look, this is where I live. And I know it's a playground for you, but I can't do this every time somebody comes through, especially who's, who's getting older. So you don't have to worry about the older part. You should write up a thing where you go, hey, I am, you know, more than fired up to see you every single time, but there's three tiers. Let's call this guy. Let's say his name is Steve. All right. So there's three tiers of Steve. If you want tier three, that is, you guys do what you got to do and I'll meet up. But when you're younger, you're all going to want to be around each other right. the entire time. It sucks yeah, when guys yourself. get a little bit older and they're like, oh, I'm not in the same hotel as you. And there's like the late night stuff that's going on. And then somebody's missing out or you're mad somebody else is gone or you're actually you're just like, why are you doing something you're not going to be with the rest of the group? That happens later on in life. So tier three might be like, I'll see you when I see you. But I don't think that's reasonable. Tier two costs $250. That means everybody <laughs> in the group has to pitch in money towards a tier two Steve experience for 250 for the entire weekend. <laughs> so it lessens the financial blow to you. And again, you, you can't be the loser of the group. You're like, I don't even fucking like you that much paying 250 bucks to hang out with them on top of everything else. Right. All right. But that is, a, I'll, I'll gamble a little, but I'm, I'm just going to hang back at the tables when you guys are firing. Okay. It's like if you guys it's like tiers of OnlyFans, like what, right, what, ac right. what access do you get? <laughs> <laughs> right. If you guys want to go to the strip club, that's great, but I'm not buying any bottles at clubs. I'm not getting us a table. Okay. But you're getting me, I'm giving like from the minute you land to the minute you leave, you have tier two, Steve. I'm there the whole ride, but it only costs 250 bucks. And then if you want a tier one, Steve experience, that's $500. That's everybody kicks and hangover. <laughs> right. That's everybody kicks in. Again, you're still there for the maximum minutes allowable of that weekend, but now it is on you to have to gamble the entire time. You also have to pay for stuff. You know, that that's the deal. So I think you you write this up in a very funny way and then you put it out on the email to whatever friend group is coming in and that way they can understand what they can sign up for. Tier 3 is the cheapest. But if they don't pay, if they sign up for Tier 3 Steve, they have to understand, hey, we only we didn't even pay for the extra Steve. So, you know, he, we can't expect him to go full tilt here for his fifth Vegas weekend. But I would imagine after every one of your friend groups does this at least once, once will be enough for some of these guys that will never yeah. want to come back here until they get a little bit older. That's how yeah. it was for us when we went to New Orleans the first time. Like after the first visit, I was like, I'm good forever. And then, I don't know, eight years later, I was like, okay, you know what? Like this place is actually great. But uh, at 22, it was, it was not the smartest smartest night out we've ever had okay we spent a lot of time on that one all right let's get to this one at what age does competition matter stats 6 2 185 bench press 225 back in my d2 hooping days focused on legs and curls for the girls finished two strength shoe workouts during my redshirt year at juco uh i went from being athletic to having serious sneaky bunnies oh oh strength shoe yeah man i ordered those and then didn't use them 
one of the great regrets in my life. No, they had these like extra platforms. I mean, you couldn't look dumber. Wait, uh, like in the, them. the ones we talked about, yeah. the the eBay one or the East Bay yeah, ones? Yeah, East with, Bay. Like, the yeah. East Bay. The circle thing on the bottom. Yeah, those are weird. Okay. Yeah, I cannot believe when I ordered them that it wasn't what I spent my entire summer doing. But <laughs> it just, I don't know. I must have been working on a different part of my game. Maybe just pin downs or something. Because I remember ordering them from East Bay and be like, finally, I'm going to just start flushing on everybody. And I got them when I was young enough. And then the weird thing is then I focused on legs so much later in my life that I can still hang on the rim a little. And it's like, wow, you must have been able to absolutely dunk. I'm like, for whatever reason, uh, I've sort of stayed at like this peak touching thing where you the age has fought the decline, but it's just like this line that stays straight. It doesn't actually, there's no like crossing point of maximum minimum. Anyway, cool story, Rosillo. Keep telling that one. All right. Favorite player growing up was Charles Barkley. Same. I was an all-around athlete like Sir Charles that could impact the game in several categories, scoring, rebounding, assists. I'm the last person in school history to record a triple-double. Ball, don't lie. Send us the link. Uh, the link. Congrats. All right. Grew up in a neighborhood of three generations of families where the oldest group of boys were seven years old. There were several kids sprinkled in between. I was the youngest, smallest kid on the block. And my competitive nature was ingrained from the start because I was always chasing the older kids who were bigger and better knowing. Uh, if you were bigger and better knowing if you couldn't compete, your ass wasn't getting picked. I truly believe that early understanding of winning versus losing and competing at everything made me successful in my playing days and now in my life career. Now that I'm older and have kids of my own, seven-year-old girl, five-year-old boy, I struggle with the balance of instilling the level of competition that I grew up with without destroying the confidence of the other kid who catches the L. I want them to compete and understand the value of losing, uh, brings in making you a better competitor, but it's also a fucking train wreck in any competitive situation. The kid that loses has a complete meltdown. My mentality is to say, you got your ass whipped, dust yourself off and do better next time. But it's difficult to get my point across when they're rolling around on the ground, bawling their eyes out like they just watched their dog get run over by the neighbor's idiot 16-year-old. Boy, that seemed very specific. So my question is, at what age should competition matter? And should I continue teaching the, if you're not first, your last mentality? Sorry, no participation trophies in this family. All right. A parenting one for us, which everybody loves when we do. Uh, Steve, you want to go first? Is he the only official parent of the group? Uh, yeah. I mean, so we haven't reached the sports uh, phase yet at, at 15 months, but yeah, do, my, my, you're not raising them. Yeah. You're not raising them. It is a little, it, it gets a little competitive about like when kids start walking though. And my daughter, Marla, she, just started walking. She was like kind of a late bloomer, but she's also the youngest girl in her daycare class. So she just gets picked up all the time. So I don't even, it's like a laziness thing. Like she doesn't need to walk. So she just hasn't walked, but she just started now and it's pretty cool. So that is a little bit competitive, but I do have a three-year-old niece who just started playing soccer. And I'm like, how does that work? Cause she's like not super coordinated. And then she's going to play a sport too. Like this doesn't, how could you possibly be competitive in this? Um, I will say the, at like the Euro Steve part of me that's going to come out here is a lot of those guys and girls, they don't do a lot of competition early. Like skills. they don't, because we've talked about this with basketball, right? Like the AAU culture and like how these kids just play game after game after game. And they actually never learn any skills. They just, they're used to just like playing a million games every weekend. Whereas in Europe, it's like they practice a shit ton and play like one game a week. So I, I kind of think the competition thing is a little overrated. Like mm -hmm. let them learn how to be good at certain things. Don't just have them play games all the time. That would be my two cents. And that's kind of how I'm going to, I'm going to try to, you know, Euro Steve and raise my daughter that way or my kids that way. But um, I know, you know, not everyone wants to have the same parenting advice, but I think that's the way to go. Yeah, I heard this on a podcast and that's why I'm repeating it. I don't remember where, 
Uh, but it was one of those big, big brain guys who said it. And it was just like, you know, they just like they're not even competing until they're like, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten. Like they're just straight up doing even skills, older, yeah. maybe some maybe scrimmages. But it's not like they're not like, you know, what's what's your record or anything like they're just straight up doing all these skills. And they have like this whole pyramid. And then and then they start competing once they've like got all these skills instead of just having like, you know, a couple of duds on the team running around. It's like, oh, we lose all the time because we've got a, you know, a couple of, of kids on our team who just can't get a hold of this stuff so uh i guess that doesn't help because you're gonna have your kid on these teams and you're gonna want them to win but um yeah i'd work more on the skills if 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 that's at all possible for you as a parent you can get past some occasional losses all right we'll take a crack at this um because i i think everybody can relate to this even if you don't have a bunch of kids at home i I really do you know some people are going to get super protective about the parent thing from non-parents but as the oldest of five, uh, and my father, you know, growing up an athlete, um, you know, to a, to a very minimum level, but you know, a touch of college hoops there, sports was huge for me. It was huge, and I took on the level of competition just because it was sort of ingrained in me. You know, losses destroyed me at a young age. Bad games, I was fucking miserable, um, but it made me want to be better, so I could spin it as the positive of. You're going to be competing in life, whether you like it or not. It doesn't have to be youth sports, but at some point you're going to be competing with other people and are you driven enough to want to do better than them? So I would think that's something you'd want to instill in your kids all the time. Uh, the other side is that, of, of that is that, you know, you start having more kids, <laughs> your approach with the first kid is almost guaranteed to be different with kid two, three, four, or however many you go. I have a brother who doesn't have any of that in him. And he's like, fuck it, with a lot of stuff. And he does really well in his field. He thinks we're insane people. And sometimes I look at him and envy him. That I was like, oh, okay. Like this shit, less stuff just doesn't bother you. And maybe that's the way to go about it. So I think anybody, parent or non-parent, can understand that because at some point you were parented. So I'd rather, and it sounds like it's in your nature, but it's also going to be kind of on the kid. Like, everybody's kids are different. You can have the same, same dad and and one kid is completely responsive and and super impressionable. And then maybe the next kid decides like, I don't know, I'm not wired like this. I don't want anything to do with it. And it probably will work itself out. Uh, it also depends on kind of your wife. Like my mom used to see my dad and I like fight to the death with badminton, like to the death. Or if he beat me in one-on-one hoops, I would like go upstairs, change shoes, reset, and be fucking pissed. But again, I'm a little kid, so it's not like I'm, yeah, I mean, he's 6'5", so it wasn't like I was actually going to beat him. But, you know, if he got an elbow with me, I'd like push him. I remember I punched him once. I was like, hey, I was like, watch those fucking elbows. You know, I was really, actually, I never swore. I never swore to him until I was like in college or something. You punched your dad? Yeah, like in the ribs. So a little jab. He was fine with, again, I was like young, young. And then I remember I came back from college and we, we were working on a construction site. We saw a hoop and we were at like lunch. And I was like, yeah. And I like really gave it to him. And uh, I think the rim was a little low too. And I like dunked on him and yelled at him. And he was like, all right, if you're going to be an asshole. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, so that's game then, right? That's game. You're walking away. He's you like, well, quit? if you're going to, yeah. He's like, if you're going to be an asshole, like I don't even want to play. And, you know, we still had to like work on the site together for like the next four hours. And I think we talked to each other for like the second half of the day after, after our, our lunch hoops thing that ended. Still I still hang know, that banner I, though. You still hang that yeah, banner though. <laughs> that was years of like, I was starting to fill out a little bit and I was like, I'm really going to put it on this guy. 
And there was no part of like, hey, it's my dad and he's older. I mean, he was 50. I think he was 50, 51 when he played in that game. And I just was like, I'm going to fucking destroy you. And uh, yeah, I mean, I could listen to somebody would probably listen to this right now and be like, that's so fucked up. But I don't know. I, I don't even feel bad about it now. So uh, yeah. So congrats on having super competitive kids. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm in favor of it, but. Yeah, I think your kids are eventually going to decide kind of whether they're into it or not. Like a kid who doesn't have it in them to be competitive about everything, again, may end up being happier. But it it's going to be their decision <laughs> more than it's going to be yours. Yeah. And are I we all on the same page with that? I think so. And even if you do go that route, I think still constructive criticism is the way to go. Instead of just like, you either win or you don't. It's like, all right, let's take a look at what happened here. It's not just like, you know, don't just be mad about losses or, you know. Whatever. And by the way, when my father, when Magic Johnson hit that hook shot against the Celtics in 85, he did that hook shot on me like for, I think, a straight like a summer, every summer. And he used to put that elbow like right in my chest and then usually would work its way up to my neck or face. And he got me in the face. And I, I think that's when I punched him in the ribs because I was so sick of that Magic Johnson running hook shot. And he just had it down perfectly. And it was just, I mean, it's tough to contest a 6'5 guy doing a running hook shot when you're 11, 10 or 11. A lot of open looks is what I'm saying, guys. All right. That'll do it for us. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Steve. Thanks to Oregon. Ryan Russillo Podcast, Ringer Spotify. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com forward slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.